Let's pray. Dear Lord, we ask that this morning you would grant your blessing to the word you speak to us. And here at Fishers, we might do life together in your love. In your name we pray. Amen. So, I should ask Charlie and Vi, because I know that they do lots of puzzles, and I've seen them on their Facebook page, but I think you all know when you're, when you're putting together a puzzle, you look for pieces that are similar and different. They have to be similar, they have to have like similar colors and similar design on it so that you know it comes from the same part of the puzzle. But to fit together, they have to be shaped differently, don't they? So that they fit together next to each other in the puzzle. It's the same in a marriage. There have to be similarities and there have to be differences. And, and the differences are often a paradox. Because on the one hand, the differences are often what attract the couple to one another. Different personalities, different gifts, abilities, ideas. Because those are the things that that other person brings to you that you lack. But the paradox is, is that often those very things that are different about the other person are the things that drive you crazy. Because they don't always see things your way, or they, their family customs aren't the same as yours, or their opinions aren't what your opinions are. And so you get a little angry sometimes. So couples have to have things in common too. It's no different in the church. You know, there's, there's a reason why when, when Scripture wants to compare the church to something, the most common comparison is the human body. Where we have all sorts of, of different parts doing different things, yet part of one body. And we have differences here, don't we? Different gifts, different abilities, different opinions, different experiences, different <clears throat> passions, different histories. That's why we're doing that, that shape survey that, that Pat, uh, Beth is asking you to do. Because those things are things that we, those differences are things that we each individually bring to the church. And yet, I would tell you, just as in the marriage, just as those things are essential to the church, they are also the things that drive us crazy about each other. Because sometimes we don't understand why people don't see things the way we see them, or why things people get upset that something isn't being done the way they think it should be done. Because we're made up of different people with different opinions. And so, we need in the church something in common. 
Something we all share. Something in common that binds us to God and to each other. And that something is grace. Living by God's grace makes life together possible. See, grace is the great equalizer. You know what the word grace means? You all learned this in catechism. It is God's undeserved love. Which means that no matter who you are, no matter what your education, no matter how much you give to the church or how little, no matter how involved you are or, or uninvolved, no matter how big a house you live in or small, no matter how important or insignificant your job, it all doesn't matter because none of that makes anyone any more deserving than anyone else. We are all united by the fact that God's love for us is completely undeserved. This text, the one you learned in catechism, is true for every single one of us. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourself. It is not of works. Not because of anything you or I have done. It is a gift of God so that no one can boast. Grace is the great Equalizer. See, we all need grace because we have all made a mess of our lives. And the first part of this reading in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul makes it clear what a mess we've made. Look at the first words. He says, we, you were dead in your trespasses. Now, there are lots of words you can pick in the Greek for dead. He picks the strongest one. He picks the one that describes a corpse. And he's saying that no more than a corpse can get up and walk. Do you and I have in ourselves any ability to reach out to or trust in God? See, in sin, we're all dead. I can't think of anything uglier or messier than the battlefield of dead bodies. And what Paul is telling us is that we live our lives in a spiritual battlefield littered with living corpses. People dead in their sin and yet still breathing. You were dead in your sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. Wow. You know that word walk? It means to meander. It says we were meandering in our sin. It means it's the same. The word means to be kind of directionless. It means to be 
It's a word means to be stumbling around like someone who's drunk or on drugs. That's what the word means. Now, I was trying to think, what's a good example of meandering? I thought of what happens when people go shopping. Now, some people, they know exactly what they want to go when they go to the store. They go into the store, they go get it, and they go out and they pay cash, and they leave. That's not meandering. Then there are the people who don't know what they want, aren't really sure where it's going to be found, and they just kind of bounce around in the store. And for those who don't meander in a store, it drives you crazy, I know. They just kind of wander around looking at this and looking at that and all over the place. That's meandering. And Paul says, we were meandering in our sin, pulled this way and that way by the various passions of our flesh. Lust, greed, pride. You know, those passions pull us around, don't they? And they're like a fire. The more you feed those passions, the hotter they are. The hotter they are, the more you have to feed them. Sin makes a mess. And because of that mess, there's only one thing we deserve. It's the last sentence here. We were by nature objects of God's wrath. Mess, sin, makes us all the same. It makes us all equally dependent on God's charity. God's grace. We all are beggars. Thank God for His grace. I want to point something else out to you in that passage. Grace is why Paul uses the past tense, not the present. Did you hear it? You were dead, not are, you once walked, not are walking. We were objects of wrath, not are. God's grace takes sin in our life and puts it in the past tense. Isn't that wonderful? And in the Scriptures, the two words that most easily describe grace are the powerful words, but God. And boy, do they stand out in this passage. You and I are in a mess, but God entered that mess in Jesus Christ. We were dead. But God, by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, changed everything. We deserved God's wrath. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead and our trespasses made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace 
in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Now, I don't know if you realize it, but there are in this passage three great but gods. The first is this. But God loves messy people. Isn't that wonderful? But God loves messy people. He says God is rich in mercy. That means He doesn't give us what we deserve. He's merciful. Right? Giving instead Jesus to die and rise again to pay that price. Giving Jesus for messy people is the great love, the great grace with which He has loved us. You know what? What that grace means? Grace means God knows all about your mess. And mine. And He loves you anyway. That is is the best news that I can ever share with anybody. Right? God knows it all and loves us anyway. And a lot of people, you know, we're Lutherans. We we pride ourselves on... on, uh, on understanding grace. In fact, Sue told me this morning that when she went looking in the concordance of the hymnal for hymns that had to do with grace, there were two and a half pages of hymns. We Lutherans have grace down. And yet I would tell you that there are a lot of people that think, yeah, that's for other people, not for me. There are a lot of people who think, yeah, but what I did. How could God forgive that. But God did. But God gave Jesus Christ to pay the price. But God so loved the world, so loves you that He gave His one and only Son who died on the cross so that you can be forgiven. God loves you. Second, but God. But God made us alive together with Christ. You know, it, it kind of always kills me a little bit as a pastor. It has for 37 years. People come into church and they see the, the, the banner that's here. And the first thought is, oh, there's a baptism today. Church is going to be long. Now, what if there was a sign that said, we're going to raise the dead today. Oh, man, I want to see that. Well, that's what happens here. God takes people dead in their sins and makes them alive for all eternity. God here takes sinners lost and makes them His own children, washes away their sin, pours His Spirit into their hearts. That's what He did for you at baptism. He made you alive. He put His Spirit into your hearts and His Spirit became the lifeblood of faith coursing through your life, giving you life. This is the Baptism is the greatest but God in your life. You should come into church and say, wow, we're going to see the dead raised today. I'd love to hear that some Sunday when you come in and see the... See the banner. Third thing, but God gives us 
purpose, and direction. Listen to these words. But God raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages He might show His immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. You know, we struggle with purpose all life long. What should I be when I grow up? What school should I go to? Should I get married? Who should I marry? Should I change jobs? My kids are grown. What's my purpose now? I'm retiring. Do I have a purpose? It goes throughout life. Too often, we see that vacuum and we fill it with the wrong things, with those passions and lusts that Paul talks about that drive us all around. God has something better. He gives your life and mine a purpose. The last verse, verse 10, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus so that we could do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. We are to take those good works and let our light shine before men that men may see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. God's plan is that by the way you and I live and the way you and I speak, people would look at us and say, wow, if God can love him, if God can forgive her, then he can forgive and love me too. That's ultimately how grace impacts our life together. Living together in the body of Christ means being gracious to one another. You know what that means? When you hear gossip or criticism coming out of your mouth, shut your trap. That has no place here. It means being gracious means putting the best construction on everything. It means speaking well of one another. It means, like your mama taught you, that if you can't say something good, don't say anything at all. Now you may think I'm here because I got called, which is true. But you know why I'm here? Because I need you to tell me that God loves me. You know why you're here? Because you need me to tell you that God loves you. Sometimes in life, things happen. Tragedy, hurt, pain. Sometimes we get sick. Sometimes we do things. Sometimes loved ones die. And we wonder, does God love me? You know what? That's why He put us here. We can't see Him but we can see each other. And so He has given you and me the assignment to be His living, breathing body, His visible voice that says to one another, yes, 
God loves you. Yes, God forgives you. Yes, God wants you. Folks, we have been through quite a couple of weeks here at Fisher's. We've had two funerals so far and one coming this week. That's been your role as the body of Christ, whether it's playing music, singing a song, preparing the, the screens or the bulletins or, or doing the sound or preparing the dinner or setting up or taking down or stopping by to visit and to listen and embrace people and to, and to love the families through all of this. That is God using you to speak His grace into the lives of these families. To say to them as they are hurting, yes, God still loves you. Yes, God is holding you in His hand. Yes, He is still your God. Simply put, that's the purpose and the direction of our life together. That's why we are here at Fisher's. To speak God's grace to each other. Amen? Amen. And now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto life that is everlasting. Amen.